1: Those
2: co hosts shout him. It's Dana and Jay. All right, welcome into the Growler edition of Hear That Podcast. Growlin', Paul Aner, Jr. and Jay Morrison of The Athletic are here with you as we attempt. We're going to have to do this, people. We're going to have to preview Bengals Steelers. I know you don't want to. I know you don't want to think about it. I know. Y- you're just dreading Tuesday morning, you're that The Steelers person you work with pops into the Zoom with all their gear on, screaming about 12 in a row, and however many times Ryan Finley and Brandon Allen were both sacked, and your own personal embarrassment. It's going to happen on Monday Night Football in front of a national stage. Stephen A. Smith screaming on ESPN, being retweeted around. I know you. no, no one wants to think about that, but it's happening. It's coming on Monday, and we're going to talk about it. So everyone, just prepare yourself.
3: Let's suspend reality and say the Bengals win this game somehow. Are are you as a Bengal fan allowed to do that exact same thing to wear all your gear and and oh, be in taunt mode in the Zoom the next morning?
2: Absolutely. I mean, it, you have nothing else to live for as a Bengals fan, right? Like you have to do that. You have to go over the top because think about it, that would create a true rock bottom. Steelers Steelers fans already on the brink, right? They've lost two in a row on prime time. They're feeling like they're losing their great season. People People are thinking Ben's at the end. What did I see? I said, did I see Ed Bouchette writing about, like, who's going to be their next quarterback? Like, they're already, like, pushing Ben out the door. I mean, they're already feeling like the sky is falling on their great season. The idea that they would come here and snap an 11-game winning streak on Monday Night Football, the Bengals would actually beat them, the lowly Bengals. I mean... You have to stomp on them when they're at, at the brink of tears. You, as a Bengal fan, we're, the last time you won was 2013 at home against them. You've also left in a row. You have to. There's no more embarrassing moment for them.
3: That's what I mean, though. That's it's, like, it's kind of like the blind squirrel finding the nut. It's like, yeah, the Steelers fans would would it really get to them if you if yes. you taunted them at this point? It's like, yes, yeah, you're gonna, yeah, you're I bound to get he, yes. one sooner or later. It's never would feel more personal and hurtful
2: than it would if you lost to this edition of the Bengals. Like, you know, you lose to them back in 15, or when they maybe even a couple other in the beginning of 18 or something. You're like, oh, all right, you know, well, you know, they have a pretty good team. They're playing well. You lose to this edition, 424 and one edition. Like (laughs) that's you know, that's something that you need to be ashamed of. And and when you're and if you use anything, Bengals fans know if you get a chance and they're ashamed, you need to kick them while they're down.
3: Is there a hashtag fire Tomlin if this happens?
2: <laughs> I mean, I feel like losing to this team is a fireable offense for somebody at this point, the way that they're going, but we'll get into that and more. Uh, Mark Kaboli from Pittsburgh is going to join us to talk about what it's like to cover a team that's lost two in a row. I want to hear about a fan base. That's so distraught. And it's just, just heartbroken. What's that like? Please tell me more. <laughs> but what it's like. Uh, so we'll talk to Mark about what's going on in Pittsburgh as they freak out. Um, Mentioned, kind of teased this the other day, Um, very excited. I talked to Randy Mueller, who, if you're familiar with our Football GM podcast, does a great podcast uh, about sort of the executive side of football with Mike Sando, who's outstanding. Uh, And I highly recommend it. If it's not on your subscribed list here on the site, I highly recommend adding it um, because they're great. He came on and uh, I talked with him for a while about some Bengals topics, and he was really, really good. I clipped out about half of it. I'm going to use some of it in the story, but uh, so leave that to to see going forward. But I got some good things of him talking about when you do a coaching change, when you don't, what it's like trading with the Bengals. Uh, all that coming up later in the podcast, keep an eye out for that. Of course, we're gonna have Jay's got stats. uh we will have a run passer boot, and we will have a uh predictions uh all of that coming your way. All right, so let's dive into I guess some news um quickly. Bengal's put Gino atkins on i r um kind of making that official, really, you know p- putting an end to a sad year uh for him and them and and everybody else you know he's he played through this injury uh shoulder injury that happened at the end of training camp and it was very like most things with Gino it was very mysterious uh you know you we don't know how serious it was we don't know how much he was playing through we don't know how if if he was you know literally out there with one arm um but we, we, we only know that when he was playing, he was ineffective. And, um, you know, it certainly th- looks like, you know, Jay, you wrote about this. It's, it's, it's hard to imagine in a year where the salary cap is probably going to be down 20 million plus, and they have so many holes all over the place that you would pay $15 million uh, to anybody. Uh, that wasn't giving you some production much less somebody who's you know going to be 33 and everything else so it, you know it does appear that you would you would think the team will be moving in a different direction at this point
3: yeah i mean even if you believe that that 90% of his struggles this year were due to the injury and that once he has surgery he's he's going to come back and and be an impact player he's never going to be the Gino of old again. And he's, he's never, you, you would, you would not think that he's going to be able to, to give you any sort of production that would validate that type of salary. It just, it doesn't make sense. And, and you're with, with Gino, we don't, we don't know where he stands on this whole thing. Has he bought into the, to the Zach Taylor culture and the, the rebuild and all that? I mean, he might be happy to go somewhere else. He's, he's made his money. I mean, it's not going to be, not going to be pleasant to to be have that salary cut but he might be more than happy to to try to catch on somewhere that's got a chance to win as his career winds down. It just it feels like it's going to be a, a split and, and not an ugly one like Carlos Dunlap. I think it's it's going to be more like the the AJ Green one where it's just that the writing's on the wall and and both teams are going to you know mutually go different ways.
2: Yeah, it's so much of the analysis this is how much do you say okay, his injury is why he gave you nothing this year uh, in his 100. What did it end up at? 119, 119 snaps. 19 snaps with, you know, depending on who you talk to, uh, one, maybe two pressures, three pressures, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it, to me, though, and I'll take that out of the equation here for you. You give, if you were telling me you were going to get 2019, Gino, what, four sacks, you know, it, incredibly decreased pressure rate, and and that was what I was going to get. I would. I still would make the move. I, I'd rather have the ten mil that mm-hmm. I can use elsewhere and take the five point two hit against dead money. I mean, ten million dollars. You know what that gets you? Like a real offensive lineman. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I I need that so much more than whatever you're hoping to get from Geno Atkins. And it's just it's not something that makes monetary sense right now. The team needs to get younger. You know, and and I, I so I, to me, I, I think that's that's the obvious thing that happens next. It's unfortunate and it's sad that we've seen Geno Atkins in a Bengals uniform probably for the last time, and we'll be doing the same thing here with AJ Green coming up soon. And uh, you know, that's but that's that's the ball game, right? Like guys cross thirty, guys get into their thirties, you 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 start bopping around teams and then you retire. That look at I mean, go go have some fun on Pro Football Reference and think of the best players you can think of. Type their name in and look at their careers. They play with one team for about 10 years and then they bop around a few others trying to latch on and find something and then they retire. Everybody. Almost everybody. So it's this is what it is. And it's not unique to this place. Um what is unique to this place is their inability to get anything out of those guys on the way out. Andy Dalton, AJ Green, Geno Atkins, Carlos Dunlap, all of these guys that they had. You know, we talked a lot about it. You know, the the big deal about last year's trade deadline. When there were offers on the table, throw in Tyler Eifert, Andrew Billings. There were offers that could be had with all of those guys. They could have hit the button on the rebuild, accumulated picks, or whatever. And you know where the, you know what they look like then? The Dolphins. <laughs> yes. <laughs> with a bunch of picks and a bunch of space. And instead, you know, they basically added this year and threw in even more of all the turmoil and everything else. And, you know, that's kind of this organization. It's who they are. We will get into that with Randy Mueller <laughs> a little bit about the idea of trading with the Bengals and, and part of the problem there.
3: Um, I was going to say, one of the things with Geno there, the, the sad thing about it is – that was a big reason they went out and got DJ reader is to put a guy next to him and kind of offset that age. And we saw Geno Atkins and DJ reader on the field for two and a half quarters all year. Geno yeah. missed the first four games. He comes back and then DJ reader gets hurt in that fifth game. It goes on IR. Um, so with DJ coming back next year, it, it's intriguing to, to see what maybe would happen if you had those guys together, but the Bengals aren't in a position to roll the dice with that. They just, they need to just cut the salary and move on.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think you just you use that money for your other areas of need because Gino is older and not filling them. Uh and so that's that's part of that. Um, you know, the other you, you talk about injuries, and it's something that I tweeted out yesterday. If you go down the list, and we've all done this, you know, one you throw the first round picks in that have all been hurt continuously dating back to forever. Um and then they finally go into free agency, right? And you really total it up now, We can, now that we have the perspective of all of this with Trey Waynes officially ruled out, also part of the news, which, you know, that seems that was part of this season was going to be Trey Waynes could have probably come back. Um, I think if they're relevant, I think if they're in it, I think if it means something this last quarter of the year, this last three or four games, Trey Waynes probably could have gotten himself back and would have been motivated to do so. I kind of don't blame the guy for being like, ah, how about we just start over next year? <laughs> you know, you're coming back from this injury. If there's any risk at all, you're probably just not going to do it. It's not best for you. You're just you'd rather just cut your losses and start over. Um, there's something to be said for a guy who would want to come and join his team and be part of the team and show that he wants to be kind of a, you know, a guy who would do that. But if you feel like there's any health risk and you've already, you know, You already feel like you kind of pushed yourself into some health risk situations earlier this year in a very vocal way through your agent. Um, You probably just say, let's just start over next year. That's what happened with Trey Wayne. So let's go back. Here's your guys from free agency. DJ Reader getting 14 mil a year. Trey Wayne's getting 14 mil a year. Von Bell getting 6 mil a year. Mackenzie Alexander getting 4 mil. Xavier Suafilo getting three, Josh Bynes getting 1.7. Big haul, unprecedented by the Bengals. What do they get out of that? Five games from DJ Reader, none from Trey Waynes, all 13 from Von Bell, 11 from Alexander, three from Suafilo, and all 13 from Bynes. That is 45 of 96 potential games at 47%. And then weight that. With the Reader Wayne's combo, that you paid $28 million, netting you five games and really zero impact. Mm -hmm. You know, you finally spend, and the optimism for fans and everybody that came from finally spending and seeing that's where the improvement for the team is going to come from. And it was taken away. It was taken away via injury. And, you know, it's easy to play this game, it's also valid to play this game. How different do things look? If you get seventy five percent instead of forty seven percent, I mean, those are number these. You know, we're gonna hear later in the show Mark Caboli talk about overcoming injuries to Devin Bush and Bud Dupree. Like this team's had to overcome injuries to these guys, to Joe Burrow, to Joe Mixon, to you know CJ Uzama. I mean, so many starters. It's up there with the worst in the league, and that's part of the equation too.
3: It has to be, and nobody wants to hear it. It's the whole next man up thing, and it that that there's truth to that. But everyone knew, and we've we talked about this. You can't fix a roster in the off season, and they you certainly can't build a deep or you can't fix a roster in in one off season, and you can't build the kind of depth that you need in one off season. And they they did what they needed to do to, to take a step toward that, but nobody looked at this roster going into the start of the year and and, and said it could overcome injuries and they've, they've got more than even what you would expect uh, for, for most teams and it just it's it's an indictment on how thin the roster is but it's not a surprise at all nobody nobody thought that they were going to be able to overcome losses to Joe Burrow and Joe Mixon they just they, they're not built for it this year so it is a valid excuse even if people don't want to hear it
2: yeah uh, there's a lot to that, and I think it's something that you'll see us digging into here more as we go forward um you know and they you start evaluating the roster and and where it's at and evaluating the coaching staff too um all right let's um start to kind of turn our heads a little bit to monday um and with that let's let's talk a little bit about the Steelers at Paul Brown Stadium. <laughs> <laughs> Jay you got sad stats and and you know what they are they're especially sad, this time of year oh they're sad they're always sad and now they're Steelers sad which is like that extra level of sadness uh hit me up with jay's
3: got sad Steelers stats a lot of s's these these are angry stats bengal fans really get mad when you talk <laughs> about the Steelers um okay so on the bengals roster there's there's 11 guys on IR so 53 53 guys on the main roster and 11 on IR. That's a total of 64. How many do you think have more wins at Paul Brown Stadium than Ben Roethlisberger? And Ben is 15 and 2 at Paul Brown Stadium.
2: Well, I mean, you got it. If you go back through the roster, you got the specialists. You've got Huber and Harris, right? So you've got those guys that have been around. Um, AJ. Um, I mean, all the guys that have been here, really anybody that's been here, you'd had to have been here probably since what, since 16, 17, I would think. Yeah,
3: something like that. So it's not many. I would say, what, nine? Exactly nine. And it falls. Yes. If Pittsburgh wins Monday night, it falls to eight because Ben will tie Tyler Boyd with 16 <laughs> wins at all-around stadium. And so, yes, that. That is a remarkable. Here's another number, another quiz for you. Um, ben Roethlisberger touchdown passes at Paul Brown Stadium versus AJ Green touchdown catches at Paul Brown Stadium. Oh uh, man, what do you think the differential is there?
2: Well, in 17 games, let's—I would say Ben, Ben plus
3: seven. Are you? Can you see my screen? No, I can't see your screen. Did I get it again? You got it dead on the nose. Boom, um, nine and seven. Look at me. I
2: seriously did not look any of that up. That is incredible.
3: I'm so very happy. It is uh, AJ Green, thirty-one touchdown catches at Paul Brown Stadium in his career. Ben, twenty-four touchdown passes. Really, I mean, he. Oh, I had Ben plus seven. I, I had oh, the no, other no. One, So I AJ had, like, had seven. Oh,
2: now now my day's ruined.
3: You shouldn't have said that. Yeah, <laughs> we'll edit that out. <laughs> But, yeah, you know, I mean, Ben could catch A.J. if he, you know, three to three on Monday night. And then depending on how long he sticks around in Pittsburgh, we know A.J.'s probably gone at that. I could see that total sticking at thirty one. Uh, ben could finish his career with more touchdown passes in this building than than A.J. has touchdown catches, which is pretty remarkable.
2: Yeah. And, uh, you know, you get this. Then we throw in the national stage factor to the storyline of the month, which is, you know, the chance of, okay, a national embarrassment type game, Monday night football, full of Steelers fans, impression that could leave or on the flip side, pulling off the miracle, as you mentioned at the beginning, would be a job saver, you would think um, for this, certainly for the head coach, um, if you could find a way. To pull off a team that, you know, a Pittsburgh team. I think the Bengals felt really good about their game plan going into Pittsburgh and probably feel good about having seen the blueprint and the way their defense is playing a little bit against an offense that's struggling that is very one-dimensional and maybe thinking that they could win a 15-13 to 13 type game, you know, if they got a turnover and and something like that. I mean, that's, that's the only way they can win this. I mean, they ain't scoring points. Against this defense, even one that's missing Dupree and Bush and them, I mean, it—that's it, it, what it's going to have to look like. I mean, that to me, it would be—I think it would probably be a job saver if he could pull this off.
3: Yeah, they're, they're two and eleven in their last thirteen primetime games. So when, when you combine the Pittsburgh factor and the primetime factor and just the twenty twenty factor, I don't know. I—we'll I, get into our predictions later. I, I do think that they can keep it close, but it, it's just. There's very few games you go in where you say they have no chance of winning, and this feels like one of them. It does.
2: Um, and it's funny because when I go back to man, we had this. This was the game circled. When you thought Burrow mm. was going to be healthy and you thought they were going to have gotten some wins against those NFC East teams, which, by the way, a quick thing that popped into my head, it's funny how now this Washington defense is being vaunted as this like future of the NFL thing and how good they are when the Bengals weren't, didn't punt with Burrow. Yeah, (laughs) they were just—they were just tearing Washington apart, moving the ball up and down the field against this now this thing that's become this oh very scary element in the NFC playoffs. Right, kind of you know at least should make Bengals fans a little helpful, hopeful of what could have been. All right, before we shift gears,
0: let's take a quick break. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Requires high speed internet connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on direct TV. Terms and restrictions apply.
2: I want to talk, bring in Randy Mueller um, to. As we talk about the coaching thing, uh, just some interesting stuff from him from a GM standpoint. And after that, we'll come back for a second discuss that and talk to uh Mark Caboli about the game and then predictions and all that. So here is a uh, former GM of the Saints and the Dolphins, 2000 Executive of the Year, and he is uh on the R Athletics Football GM podcast along with Mike Sando. This is uh former NFL GM Randy Mueller. A uh, little, little bit of our conversation that I had with him. How much do you in the AFC North, in particular in you know recent years, you saw continuity be key? Tomlin, Harbaugh, Marvin, you know, and then the Browns were the opposite of that, is constantly having turnover. At what at what point is there continuity matters versus understanding when to cut bait on something that has gone? terribly wrong even if it's in a shorter period of time
4: yeah i hear you that's a tough call i think probably more than ever uh, what i've recently come to the conclusion is that change is a part of what we're doing right and sometimes change can come as quickly as six months you know you're on the wrong track you know
1: Mm -hmm.
4: (laughs) other times it it takes six years so i don't the people on the inside know I mean, I've always been a fan of the Bengals. I like Katie, I like Troy. I like Paul Junior. Those are good people, you know. Um, so I, I, I know they know, but it's a hard, it's a hard trigger to pull, um, you know. Depending on your philosophy and where you think you're headed, it's it's hard. I don't know that there's a specific formula in place for knowing when to change. You know, when to make a, a, a direction uh, shift.
2: Yeah. And, and especially a place like this, where they are so dedicated to patience and letting things play out and not having knee jerk reactions. It's like, um, it's the last thing that you would ever expect to be having conversations like this, but that's what happens when you're, when, when you lose anywhere in this league, right? I mean, no matter where it is. Yeah. yeah.
4: Sometimes it's the, it's the surrounding cast that makes you kind of think differently. Like in their case, I mean, you got the Browns, you got the Steelers, you got the Ravens. I mean, since he's clearly the fourth, right? Yes. <laughs> I mean, so so hey, I think you know they've got a quarterback now that looks like he may be the future. They've got all this competition within their own division. They almost have to do something, right? I mean, they've got to build a team differently than they have the last four or five years for sure, and and it's really based on. How good everybody is around
2: him. I'm curious what your thought is on this. I think there's when when a team has the quarterback, like I think the Bengals think they do. At least they're you know dedicated to him. Uh, is there's a natural inclination out there the idea of pairing that guy with an offensive head coach and and whatever? But there's a history of. Guys from the defensive side of the ball, and this may not mean anything in the big picture, whether which side of the ball you're on, you're a leader or not. But you know, when you look at a history of your Brady, Belichick, your Pete Carroll, Russ Wilson, you know, even Tomlin, Roethlisberger, all that stuff. It is—is is there something to having somebody who's a maybe a defensive-sided head coach when you know you have the quarterback who can kind of take the other side a little bit?
4: Well. Yeah. I think it is about schemes, that's for sure. I don't think it's about whether the head coach, like you said, isn't, you know, an offensive guru to train the quarterback. That means really nothing to me. The offensive scheme and the offensive staff matters, that's for sure. But if I'm hiring a head coach, I'm hiring a leader of men, regardless of what side of the ball he's on, you know. I, I've I've been lucky enough when I went to New Orleans I hired Jim Haslett he was a defensive coordinator obviously and had spent a lot of time in that division um, but I knew what kind of a guy he was and our offensive coordinator at the time was a young up and comer Mike McCarthy you know so you know that tells me right there that the head coach can be a defensive guy who's he going to hire as an offensive coordinator and that's probably you know or an offensive line coach those two spots regardless of who the head coach is, are to me the most important hires.
2: You mentioned something on the podcast earlier in the year about what it's like trying to trade with the Bengals. And I enjoyed it. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, it's something that I, you know that I've heard repeatedly across yeah. the league is, is how tough that is and how that's just not something that's going to happen. I'm curious that's something that has always been the case, or maybe you've seen saw change over the years or just something that it makes it hard that's why they never trade because teams are just kind of rarely even going to try going that route with them.
4: Yeah, I don't you know I've been around. It in, in the league a long time, and I haven't really seen a change in philosophy. I mean, I, I'm I'm an aggressive kind of get in the middle of every deal. I want to get right to the verge. We can always say no, right? I'm mm-hmm. um, kind of guy, and obviously the Bengals are totally the opposite. I think again, I can't speak for them. They might view a trade as taking on other people's problems. You know, I don't know. I don't know what their philosophy or how they've developed it, but. There are so many ways in this day and age to improve your team and to rebuild your team that I think you have to look at trades as being one of them. You have to look at cap casualties elsewhere. You have to look at waiver claims. You have to look at free agency. You have to look at the draft. I mean, there's five ways to get better right now, and teams have shown you can turn your fortunes in a year. You can rebuild you know? So why wouldn't you use all of that? And that's just always been my philosophy is I want to be in the middle of every deal. doesn't mean it's right. It's just a different, you know, it's, I guess that's why Bastian Robbins has 31 flavors, right? All
2: right. Much thanks to Randy. I really appreciate his time. Uh, great to hear from you. You know, there's a lot of elements in there and I'll get more into it as I write about this uh, later in the week. But you know, the, the idea of the Bengals and the way they operate differently and having to have an understanding of that is the difference between understanding continuity. And I thought he made a great point about, look, there should be more pressure to make a change when you look at the rest of the AFC North. You know, How can you not look at where the Browns, the Steelers and the Ravens are and not feel the need to make something happen uh because of the, the the gap that exists there really interesting so speaking of the gap that exists there let's uh bring in our guy from pittsburgh everyone's favorite mark caboli uh, to talk about what's going on with the steelers why they're struggling and the sky is falling so here is uh, our our writer in pittsburgh mark caboli
3: all right we're gonna head out to pittsburgh now and talk to every bengals fan's favorite athletic writer mark caboli mark how you doing today
1: Good, hey, jay i appreciate the little dart you gave me and uh <laughs> to whip around on the Friday morning. Uh, I'm sure your fans will enjoy that. The only thing good about that now is, Jay, is they don't really have much to come back on. You know, it's like before they were, you know, the Bengals had some hope and, you know, glimmer of hope. Now it's like, uh, let's just ignore this guy. He's a clown, but he cares.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I do love the vision of you out there just hugging Bengals fans and apologizing for the Steelers beating them every single time uh, for, for Monday's game. Um, my first question is how early do I need to get to the press box to watch Juju dance on the logo and see if any Bengals are going to intervene.
1: You know what? I, I don't even know when he does this. You know, the thing is he's been doing this for some time now, I'd say half the season, but typically he's been doing it at um on his home field. and Sometimes he does it before a game. A lot of times he was doing it after the game, you know, There's a lot made to that in Buffalo. But the thing is, is you have to understand Juju. There's not a thought that has crossed his mind that dancing near a logo or on a logo is disrespectful in any other way. It's a backdrop to a TikTok video that he thought was cool. That's what he's been doing. It just happens to be (laughs) on a logo. So uh, that's the way everybody's been taking it around here is, well, it's just Juju. It's no disrespect. Like he probably doesn't even know that that you, you, you probably shouldn't be doing stuff like that. Now, if you recall about a month ago, Jay, he tried to do the old Terrell Owens thing in the middle of the yes. star in Dallas and somebody slapped the ball out of his hands and, and whatnot. That's a little different there. He was quite aware what he was doing there, this, a lot of talk about it here in Pittsburgh. People are calling him a selfish baby and whatever there is. But to me, it's what it is. So, But to answer your question, probably about 90 minutes before the game, I would say, to get there to oh. make sure you uh, be able to videotape that for your fans.
3: All right. I will make sure. <laughs> right. well, uh, on a serious note more, the, the football, I mean, what what has happened to the Steelers? Is, is this – totally unexpected, this little slump, or did you kind of see this coming?
1: It's a little bit unexpected. I mean, nobody thought they were going to go on the field because, you know, that's just a hard thing to do, right. regardless of how good of a team you are. But, you know, they've had some issues with injuries, but everybody has issues with injuries. But, you know, last week against um, – last week's game against Buffalo, we're talking about their two – inserting inside linebackers were – a guy who played for the Jets a month ago and a guy who was a safety two months ago. I mean, you're losing guys like Vince Williams who had was on the COVID list, Robert Spillane, who had to fill in for Devin Bush who tore his ACL up. Joe Hayden was in Prague play. And there's some issues there, but that's not the big thing. I mean, the big thing is they can't run the ball. They don't try to run the ball. They, they acknowledge they – well, they don't acknowledge, but we all know that they don't even try to run the ball. And more more recently is their receivers can't catch the ball. I mean, we're talking about close to 20 drops or at least combated – I call them combat drops where you're like, ah, that's not really a drop but he probably should have made the play. There's 20 of those in the last three games. It's absolutely – unbelievable that these receivers all of a sudden forgot how to catch the ball. So that's been an issue as well. I think Roethlisberger's arm and getting old and slow and, you know, he's going to have to have his arm am- amputated. It's just a little bit out there, <laughs> if you ask me. I think he's fine. He's not very good at throwing the deep ball. The ball fades on him a little bit. But I think the big thing is, is some of the injuries on defense and just the inability to get a yard or two on the run game when they have to, and the receivers dropping the ball. And when you have that quick, especially with the receivers, Jay, when you're dropping the ball, their entire offense is predicated on quick, get the ball out of your hands, throw short and run long. And when your your receivers drop passes like that, it's a pretty significant chunk out of your offense. So if you're able to clean that up, I think they're still – you know they're not elite but they're in, they're in a conversation with the you know the top 7 or 8 teams in the AFC Yeah,
3: hey, you you're like psychic you you addressed 3 of the questions i was going to ask you right oh, there i was going to ask about man. the the drops and the run game and about ben um obviously i think most bengal fans care about ben but i did want to point out on the drops i looked this up on sport radar they've got according to them they have 37 this year the the next highest by any team is 32 um look so at Deontay
1: Johnson's number. A guy who is very yeah. critical in what they like to do is you know, he he got that elusive rate. I know you're into the numbers and the analytics, Jay, and he's pretty dynamic at that, but you can't drop three balls against um I mean Baltimore, three balls against uh, I even forget Buffalo and two more couple of days a week before that I think he has eight and three weeks. Yeah. So can't do that, Jay and think you're going to be able to sustain drives and be able to score points.
3: No. Um, with Ben, I, I guess he didn't practice Thursday, you guys wouldn't have been able to watch anyhow, because <laughs> they went inside, which is a foreign concept here in Cincinnati. Um, but I mean, how big of an issue do you do you think that the knee and shoulder I guess, injuries are that he's dealing with right now?
1: See, I don't know. He totally dispelled the, the report from Sunday about his okay. knee. I'm sure he, he did mention, you know, I'm 38. I've had multiple surgeries, so, you know, it's not like it's a brand new knee. But, you know, I haven't really noticed much off the knee. I mean, and all of a sudden when that report comes out, you hear people say, oh, yeah, he can't drive through the ball. That's why his arm looks so bad. and I don't buy it because you know what? They went under center, you know, half a dozen times, which is maybe not seem like a lot from the outside world, but it's huge in you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers scheme. <clears throat> They're just shotgun, 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 and you're not going to have a bad knee and, and, you know, twisting and turning in these five and seven step drops. So I don't think the eat knee is a huge issue. As I mentioned before, the arm, it's just. Some of the deep balls just tend to float on him, float towards the outside. And he's just, I mean, you look at the one, the interception to almost to end the game against the Bills, it was massively underthrown and people were putting one and one together and getting two, or maybe three, depending on your point of view and thinking there's something wrong with him. You know, he, he used to be a really good deep ball thrower. It just hasn't come back this year. A lot of that was the worrisome maybe early in August, Jay, because when you have an elbow injury, it all affects the spin of the ball, the spin rate. as we mm-hmm. get it from. And the spin rate affects this type of spiral. And the spiral sometimes, or more than sometimes, all the time uh, is directly related to accuracy and you throw the ball 40, 50 yards down the field, and it's floating. So that's that's been the issue with him. I don't think it's been, like I said, as big as some people are making it out to be that he's done, he looks old, slow, his arm's going to fall off. I think that's just a product of two losses to, you know, at least one team that they should have beaten in a Baltimore team that was missing 16 starters and they did get- yeah. yeah.
3: Maybe the spin is leading to some of these drops too. Um I wonder his cap hits forty one million next year. What what are the chances someone other than Ben's playing quarterback for the Steelers in twenty twenty one?
1: Well, I think it's gonna to have to be up to him. I mean, um he's not I mean, the team's not gonna cut him. They can't as you said, the cap number it is what it is, and that's because they pushed down He restructured some of his deal last year and the year before that. And all of a sudden, before you know it, he's a $40 million cap hit. I think you have probably a better chance of him getting extended, Jay, because they're in absolutely, like most teams other than maybe the Bengals, are in trouble with the salary cap. And they need to find some relief somewhere. And one way you get relief is uh, to uh, push that Rothenberger cap further into the future when hopefully – The uh, salary cap is a little bit higher than it's expected to be this year. But uh, unless he comes out and says, I'm retiring, I'm done, I can't play anymore, he's going to be back next year and very likely get a potential one of those Drew Brees extensions, you know, maybe year by year, maybe a two-year type of thing. Because, you know, you look behind him, too. I mean, talking about Mason Rudolph and we're talking about Josh Dobbs and maybe Duck Hodges. It's not like they got the second coming of, you know, a Hall of Fame quarterback waiting and reading. There's no Aaron Rodgers behind Brett Favre type of situation here. So yeah. as long as he can continue to play, and he played great first 10 or 11 weeks. It's just that these last couple of weeks, it hasn't been flawless.
3: Yeah. With, uh, with Tomlin, um, all year long, he's been right at the, the top of the list of, of odds to win coach of the year. I think he's slipped a little bit since the back to back losses, but just curious, you know, with all the injuries and everything, what the job he's done this year, where does that rank among his best coaching performances? Well,
1: I think he might have had a better performance last year hmm. uh, just because of what they had to overcome with having a Hall of Fame quarterback and all these plans in place for an offense. To be to function without Antonio Brown, and which is all of a sudden that goes away six weeks in, and you're, you're, six quarters in, and you're all of a sudden you're, you know, you're eight and five, and probably should make the playoffs. So that was pretty good. But just the way he's been able to this year, with all the un, you know, unforeseen circumstances around this season, to be able to get rookies to play like they have, Claypool's been pretty good. Uh, Kevin Dotson, Alex Highsmith, these are guys that, you know, really don't have a huge resume in college, or at least Dotson and Highsmith haven't, and they're starting now, or or at least seeing some action, and he's really kept it pretty much focused uh, throughout the pandemic, I know a lot of teams probably are taking it a little bit more serious now, I mean, I don't want to call out the Ravens or anything, but maybe I just did. <laughs> but th- that was the message from Tomlin from day one. He was like, hey, if one – I remember this, this was early – late July. He said, you know what? If one fails, we all fell,' And that's true. I mean, you realize that right now. It doesn't have to be um, a situation where where everybody's out partying or whatever. You could have the equipment guy going to get a pizza, mm. and before you know it, everybody's infected. So I think that's been key. I think they they just had some tough injuries on defense with Dupree and Devin Bush. I mean, those are injuries that are hard to overcome. They have a chance to because they have so much talent around them. But uh, I still don't see Tomlin winning it, though, Jay, unless – no, I just don't see him winning it because I don't think he's even come close to winning the Coach of the Year honors. He's been in the league 14 years now. They've
3: had a losing record. You mentioned Dupree. I was going to ask about him. I mean, it's maybe it's coincidental, but they haven't won since he went down. Um, ha- how badly does this defense miss him? And and will, will will it even be a factor? I know against a team like the Bengals, that it may not be. But like down the stretch, is this is this going to be a huge loss without him, or is as you said, the talent around him enough to to pick up the rest of the defense?
1: Yeah, Alex Highsmith, he was a rookie third rounder out of Charlotte. They had him in mind just to replace Dupree next year because Dupree's gonna be, you know, he's on the franchise tag this year. They're not going to sign him because they need TJ Watt money for next year to sign him. He's got thrown into that position. And he's, you know, we're coming from Charlotte, a guy that's probably only played that position once. And so he's kind of limited in what he can do. But where the issues been is not so much with Highsmith. Is that what teams are tending to do on the other side now, you know, if they're if they're chipping TJ Watt more, if you know, if, if they're sliding the protection that way, why would in the world would you do it the other way when you got Alex Highsmith instead? You have to focus. You can be able to focus more attention to TJ Watt. And that's what happened against Buffalo, and he was pretty much you know out of the game. Not many. Big plays at all because of him, so that's the biggest issue. The trickle down effect of how they run the defense now behind him without a guy who's been around for seven years like Dupree, and what other teams are now able to do to TJ Watt because they don't have hmm. Dupree on the other side. So that's the biggest concern.
3: All right, well, I don't have any more questions for you, but I do have an assignment for you. I, I Bengals fans are going to hate <laughs> me for this, but I, I think this would be really cool. I think it would go viral. I think we're going to see more Steeler fans than Bengal fans in, this, in the stadium on Monday night. And I, I think they, everyone in Pittsburgh should get together and organize a flash mob type of thing where at the first TV timeout of the fourth quarter – They just break into an acapella version of Renegade and do it in another team's stadium. I just,
1: you know what, Jay? That happened in Los Angeles last year. Yeah, when they tried to
3: fake them out.
1: Yeah, (laughs) that didn't work very well. And all all the Chargers (laughs) players were like, what in the world are they doing? But I've heard, yeah, to to, to your point, Jay, I heard some people already message me. They already messaged me and said, hey, man, I'm going to Cincinnati on Monday for the game. So I'm sure there's going to be, there's always, Steelers fans there but imagine right. if it wasn't a Monday night game yeah you have to understand that the, the largest capacity crowd was a lot in Heinz Field was like 5500 but that was only for like two games the first month of the season was none and the ever since Thanksgiving the Baltimore and Washington game there weren't allowed any either maybe just a couple mm. family members so if people want to make a road trip on a Christmas week, maybe they're taking the week off because Christmas <laughs> is the end of the week. Yeah, I can see. How, how many people are allowed in uh, the stadium, Jay?
3: Technically 12,000, but they never go up to that. Um, it's it's usually around 10, 10 and a half.
1: Yeah, it, it's probably going to be a lot of Steelers fans. But uh, <laughs> here's, here's my biggest concern. And I know Pittsburgh people call it different than Cincinnati people. But we call it the escalator. Do they run that with only twelve thousand people, or how does that work?
3: <laughs> they do. Yeah, the escalator <laughs> will it will switch directions early in the third quarter, and there will there will be people fleeing for the exit.
1: E- even with twelve thousand people, I- yep, I thought they yeah, they put them. I thought they'd make them walk and save a couple bucks on the electricity. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
3: All right, hey Mark, it's been great talking to you. I'm sorry I won't be able to talk to you in the press box, but uh thank thank you so much for jumping on both times this year and uh we'll be in touch soon.
1: All right, we'll talk to you during the playoffs when the Steelers and
0: Bengals meet.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. All right, let's stop here for a second, take a quick
2: break.
0: Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on direct TV. Terms and restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem-solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.
2: All right, always great to hear from Mark. Uh, all right, let's, let's wrap this thing up with uh, our segments we always love to get to. Let's start with the growler bet. As you know, now so close last week. Sorry to the Bookerman. So close. <laughs> An epic so-close moment uh, last week on the touchdown pass by Andy Dalton, ruining the free growler of delicious 50 West beer, which, by the way, I believe Chillicothe location is open. So if you're one of our listeners from up north, you have a 50 West location by you now in Chillicothe. I believe they've just opened up. Don't hold me. I really should have probably double checked that. But I think if they're not open, they're, they are going to be very, very, very soon. Uh so keep an eye on that. But a delicious growler, a 50 West beer. You can have, but they have an OU Oh Yeah beer now, which is based off the hot nut from Tony's for my OU folks. Oh, there we go. Which which I'm very excited about. So I'll make sure I'll be uh checking that out soon. Uh so you can have a growler. You have to get this both prongs correct. Send it to us on twitter hashtag Bengals growler bet all together hashtag Bengals growler bet or hit me up via email pdaner at theathletic.com p-d-e-h-n-e-r at theathletic.com with your answer gotta get them both right we need steelers sacks and total sack yardage steelers sacks and total sack yardage on monday night football now normally jay we would say no, no zero is too easy. So you can't do double zeros. I'm gonna tell you this. You think the Steelers aren't gonna get a sack? Go ahead. Waste your submission on zero if that's what you want to do. Go zero, zero. If you feel like this Bengals offensive line is gonna keep them clean. I I I will allow that. I'm allowing zeros if that's how you feel. Go for it. Waste your submission on it.
3: I think listeners that's- get a they get a bonus advantage this week too because they can wait we have to we have to say ours right now. They can wait until ten minutes before kickoff to send theirs in and know is it Brandon Allen or is it Ryan Finley. I think that uh. drastically changes your prediction, uh but we're we're gonna go with what we know right now where where Brandon Allen is supposed to play. He didn't practice Thursday, but they still they're hopeful that he can play with that bone bruise. I'm gonna go five sacks twenty three yards uh
2: I'm gonna say six for thirty nine I think Finn gets some, <laughs> gets some snaps late, and uh, we know what that looks like. Uh, that's that's my that's my prediction. Um, run passer boot. This is a good one, Jay. You got a good run passer boot this week.
3: Yeah, I think these are all pretty close. It's a little bit of a tough call here. Um, run passer boot. What will be greater Monday night? Steelers sacks. Chris Boswell made kicks. He's thirty for thirty at Paul Brown Stadium all time, or Bengals third down conversions.
2: Ma'am. Uh, I'm going to run with Steelers sacks. Uh, I am going to pass Boswell kicks, and I'm going to boot third down conversions. I just uh, – that's just I, – I, I feel like it's going to be a rough day
3: for the O. I, I'm going to be the complete opposite. I'm, I'm running with third down conversions just because – that number more than the other ones has the potential to be in the 9-10 range. I know you not you wouldn't think so in a Bengals Steelers game, but in in average, I, I think teams can get up close around that 10 mark. Um, so I, I'm gonna run with that one. I'm gonna pass on the Boswell kicks and I'm gonna boot Steelers sacks. I just I I as much as they have beaten up on Bengals quarterbacks the last few years. I still think it's going to be in that four or five, maybe six range. And I think the Bengals can get more third down conversions in that.
2: Okay. Uh, I like that. Now those, those three things all average right around five this year, as far as, you know, what what has happened with between the Bengals and the Steelers and what Boswell does at PBS. So those it should be very close share, have fun debate at your family Christmas <laughs> zooms uh, this year uh, predictions for Monday night, Jay.
3: Uh, the last time the Bengals beat the Steelers at Paul Brown Stadium was a Monday night in two thousand thirteen. It was twenty to ten. I'm gonna flip it this time and say Steelers twenty, Bengals ten.
2: Okay. I had twenty three to nine. Uh, so big night for Austin Seibert, right? Yes. <laughs> I guess. Uh, so anyway. So yeah, twenty three to nine. I you know, I don't it's hard to see. The path to success on Monday night is a hard one to uh, to see happening. Normally, you can kind of see it, but...
3: The path to double a, digits is hard to see.
2: Yeah, exactly. So, hey, maybe we're wrong. You never know. That's why they play the games, uh, even if sometimes it seems obvious it's going to happen. So, anyway, I hope everybody um, enjoys that. hope everybody enjoyed the podcast. Um, and we will be talking to you after the game. So, when you wake up on Tuesday... We'll be here for you uh, to uh, discuss everything and whatever the heck went down at Paul Brown Stadium on Monday Night Football. So have a great weekend, everybody, and uh, we'll talk to you Tuesday morning.
1: Have a good-